Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. We're so glad you're here. I'm Joel Grote. And I'm Lynn Wilder. And we're going to talk today at Easter week about something that was so profound for me when I left performance-based religion and came to Christ. Um, Let's look at a passage in 2 Corinthians. Okay. It talks about something called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Something I did not know when I was Mormon is that Old Testament means Old Covenant and New Testament means New Covenant. Really? There's an Old Covenant and there's a New Covenant? Well, we're going to talk about this glorious New Covenant today because it's what Easter is all about. And I just want to, you know, also just say for people, we really want to encourage you and we want to encourage you to go ahead and share this episode. We realize that this is going to be one of the most unique Easter Sundays for a lot of people. Easter is usually a time, it's one of the the two holidays where a lot of people go to church, Christmas and Easter. Um, And this year, it's just not going to happen. Their churches aren't being open. They may be streaming, but for a lot of people, this is going to be a really hard weekend to have to practice to stay at home. And so we want to have a word of encouragement. And so if you know people who might not have a church, um, maybe don't have a lot of plans for Easter, this will air on Saturday. Um, And so if you're listening to it now uh, on Saturday, um, we just encourage you to share it with people or share it anytime during the week as uh, just an encouraging message about how cool Easter is and what the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus means for us as we talk about this whole idea of a new covenant. And how wonderful it is to be able to go to a church and a church building and fellowship with other believers. Under the new covenant, um, we do not need a building and we do not need a formal organization, do we, to celebrate Easter? Let's start in 2 Corinthians 3, and right now I'm in verse 6. Okay. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. There that is again the idea of an old covenant and a new covenant. Not of the letter, really, not of the rules and regs and the gotta do this, but of the spirit. For the letter kills. Whoa, Old Testament, letter, law, old commandments, um, they kill? Yeah. But the Spirit gives life. What does that mean, Joel? (laughs) Well, um, go ahead and keep going. Go ahead and read verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, ooh, that's pretty clear. That's the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. If it came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily in the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, 
Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So yeah, what what ha- what's happening here in this whole, really it starts kind of toward the end of chapter 2, but all through chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4, Paul is doing this extended contrast yes. of Old Covenant versus New Covenant. And the first contrast that he makes is this very idea that the Old Covenant is something that brought death. The letter of the law kills. And the way that it does that is because if you are going to live under the letter of the law, in other words, if you, if the basis for your relationship with God is keeping his commandments, then you only have one or two, op- you only have one of two options. You either keep them completely and perfectly or you don't. And if you don't keep them completely and perfectly, you are under God's wrath. You are under his judgment. So this and is you cannot why... have eternal life in that condition, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that, that was the whole point is, and James even reiterates this in the New Testament. He says, if you keep all of the commandments and yet you offend in one point, you've become guilty of all because God is a perfectly holy and just God. And so therefore, the only standard that's acceptable to him is complete perfection. If that's the standard, how can any of us be adopted into his family and become children of God? Well, this is what Paul's getting at. What he's getting at here is as Christ comes, lives a perfect life. So Jesus says, I, you know, I came to fulfill the law. Um, he totally keeps every aspect of the law. He completely does the perfect will of God in everything. And so he is perfect in every way. When he dies, he becomes now a perfect sacrifice, which completely satisfies God and all of his demand for perfection and complete justice. You bring up something interesting because when I was LDS, I'm not sure I would have said that Jesus Christ was perfect at that point, nor that he was a God um, yet, right? Okay. I always believe that he earned his Godhood and certainly going to the cross in obedience was one thing that earned him his Godhood. But if what you're saying is correct, he had, and he lived the law perfectly, perhaps he was God when he did that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. We should probably do a whole podcast um, on when did Jesus become God within the context of um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon religion, because in my years of dealing with uh, with LDS people, I found two different answers. I found kind of your, you know, your understanding. Well, no, he had to fulfill righteousness. He had to earn his right to Godhead and perfection. And he did that by living his life perfectly here on earth. He did exactly on earth what we're supposed to be able to do. Um, but then there, I found a whole nother group of people who say, no, um, Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. So if he was Jehovah, um, Yahweh, the personal name of God, and he's who all the adoration of the Israelites were toward, then he obviously had to be God already then as Jehovah in the Old Testament. So 
what I found is I, I haven't ever, I haven't been able to find any consensus among Mormons about when exactly did Jesus become fully God, fully deified. Because like it's I said, not clear in Mormon scripture nor from <laughs> right. Mormon leaders. And you can find and you can find LDS leaders on both sides of that. So that's why I said right. we that might right. be an interesting topic for a podcast in the future to explore that. But your point is well taken. Within the context of scripture of the Bible, it's very clear that Jesus was God even before his incarnation, before he took on flesh, because John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus, and the word was with God, meaning he was different from God the Father, but he also was God, meaning he fully possessed deity before he came and took on a body of flesh and bones, before he became incarnate here on earth. So... And that he always has been God from eternity past. Exactly. Yeah, that's what you that's what you find um, over and over through Scripture. Which is why then, when he comes, gives his life, um, is resurrected from the dead, and it's interesting. Scripture says, um, when you ask the other question, I've asked people is, so who raised Jesus from the dead? And most people will say, well, God did. And I'd say, well, yeah, but which God? And there are passages in the New Testament that say that the Father raised Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, there are passages that say that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus and brought him to life. And, and there is Jesus himself, himself saying, <laughs> I have um, the you destroy this to... temple, I'm going to raise it. So actually, right. all three did. Um, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit raised Jesus because they are one single God. But in that being raised now, he inaugurates a new covenant, a new contractual relationship between God and man. And that's what this that's what the Apostle Paul is contrasting. Say the old covenant, that old contract, it was the letter of law. It brought death because nobody could keep the law. Therefore but, they could not save themselves. Right. By which is, living the commandments. Right. Which is why there needed to be all the sacrifices that were repeated over and over. But he says the old covenant kills the spirit the new covenant of the spirit gives life in 3 6 and he says in verse 7 that the old covenant it's a ministry of death and then as you read in verse 9 the old covenant's a ministry of condemnation while the new covenant's a ministry of righteousness and grace which is what we want to talk about big bold difference huh condemnation death and then New Covenant, New Testament, life, grace. Yes. So how, I guess here's my question for you. How can we walk through this to maybe help people who aren't familiar with these distinctions understand what the Old Covenant was about and what the New Covenant is about? You know, Joel, after I left Mormonism and read the Old Testament, I had always believed in performance-based religion that the Old Testament was all about the commandments. I was taught I had to live the commandments, yes. every one of them, right? And mm -hmm. I only saw the Old Testament when I was in performance-based religion as just rules and regs and rules and regs, rules and regs, and, and this list of things I had to do and had to keep. Once I gave my life to Jesus and read the New Testament again, I saw it totally differently. What I began to see in the Old Testament was 
patterns and shadows of things that pointed to Jesus. So in the wilderness, Moses camped the people in the shape of a cross. Like if you just, you know, if you just read, it says so many, so many tribes were here and there were so many people and so many were here and so many were here. Yes. Everything now in the Old Testament that I once thought was rules and regs, now I understand are shadows of things that would come when Christ came and went to the cross. So another one of those huge shadows from the Old Testament is the physical temple. The physical temple was where you went to get your sins atoned for, which right. is what that animal sacrifice was for, right? But also as a foreshadowing of the grand and great Lamb of God who would come to to go to the cross so that your sins might be forgiven. So I began to see the Old Covenant in a totally different way. It also says in the New Testament that the Old Covenant was a schoolmaster, it says in King James. Yes. to bring you to Christ. The whole purpose of all those rules and regs was to show you th that you cannot live them. You are human. You cannot do it. You cannot earn eternal life by living the commandments. That is, that is not how you earn eternal life. Jesus brought a better way on the cross. And so um, let's talk about that. Okay. So... I think one of the things that might help is if we if we run kind of a comparison contrast between the elements of the old covenant. In other words, the old covenant was designed to be the basis of the relationship between God and his people. I mean, so it had a purpose and the apostle Paul says it had a glory. Now the glory that it had is nothing compared to the glory of the new covenant. Yes. The whole idea of a new covenant is, um, and in fact, the apostle Paul in that same chapter in chapter three, we're looking at in verse 11, he says that the old covenant came to an end. It was temporary, but the new covenant is permanent. And that's why the new covenant has more glory. He says it has a far exceeding glory. <laughs> a little bit later, he surpassing says it has a surpassing glory. glory. <laughs> so but I think to help people understand that, um, I'm going to just run really quickly through the main elements of the old covenant for, you know, for, re for re right relationship with God. And then we can look at how in the new covenant, each one of those things has its match that's now permanent, but that's now grace-based as opposed to law-based. So a fulfillment, but then a reestablishment. Correct. Right. Um, because once again, man's main problem is that sin separates him from God. That from the time Adam and Eve fell in the garden and introduced sin, that has always been our main problem. Our main problem has not been our circumstances. It's not been our environment. It's not been our family of origin. Um, all those things can factor into how we live life. But at the end of the day, our biggest problem is that we sin. Um, our, in our church, we're fond of saying that we are all sinners by birth, um, by choice, by practice, and by generational influence. Um, and that sin separates us from, from a holy God. We can't be in intimate relationship with him if there is any sin standing between us. And Adam made the decision, brought that sin into the world, was separated from that 
early personal relationship, right? And then right. was given the old, then man was given this old covenant as a precursor to the new covenant. Right. So in the Mosaic law, in the under the old covenant, there were certain actions that had to be performed for right relationship. So one of the first that most people are familiar with is are the sacrifices. Um, and the sacrifices dealt with what separates um, us from God, our sins. So there had to be blood shed. And so, I mean, I've just been reading through uh, the book of Leviticus. Uh, I'm doing the Bible in one year through an audiobook, so I'm mostly I'm listening. But it's amazing to sit and listen to how many animals had to be killed, how much blood had to flow for people, for their sins to be atoned for. And so these sacrifices show, one, that God takes sin seriously, and two, there has to be something that stands in our place so that we don't die, so we aren't permanently separated from God. So the sacrifices are they, they deal with what separates us from God, our sin. And that sacrifice includes not just blood, but death. Yes. So it says in the New Testament that a kernel of wheat must fall and die, right, before it can be reborn. The same thing with those sacrifices. They couldn't have just cut a lamb and let it bleed. It had to die, which is a huge point. When I was Mormon, I believed that the atonement happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was what I was taught when Jesus sweat as if great drops of blood when he was praying and had this burden. Well, he didn't die there. And so right. it has to be blood and death in exactly. order for that atonement to take place. Right. There isn't a single sacrifice in the Old Testament where what was being sacrificed didn't die. <laughs> I mean, unless and you're talking right about the wheat and, and the oil, but anything, yeah. any, you know, the turtle doves, the pigeons, the rams, the goats, the lambs, the oxen, every single one of those things died. That's, a, that's an excellent point. And Jesus' death, the atonement takes place on the cross where he willingly gives up his life. Um, so that's sacrifices. That's probably one of the biggest. Um, the next thing is circumcision. In other words, there was a physical sign that showed you belong to the covenant. And, you know, circumcision was for males only, and it was mandatory. Um, if you were going to be an Israelite, a Jew, um, you were circumcised. And anybody who wanted to join the Jewish community from outside no matter how old they were, any male that joined had to be circumcised. It was the sign of inclusion in the covenant. So, um, don't want to talk. Don't need to talk a lot about that. But it's there is that sign of inclusion. And then the next thing is you had all these festivals and these feasts. They were mandatory yearly celebrations, and they focused on God's intervention in the lives of His people. So they were a way of worship, um, and and that was the focus of the worship for the people. And there were, you know, they took place yearly, some of them took place monthly, uh, but they were they were mandatory. Every faithful Jew had to participate in these festivals and these feasts. And then the next one is foods. Right. So the Jews were prohibited from eating certain things like shellfish and, and pork, pork, right? Yeah. Um, and there were all these do's and don'ts around around foods 
And again, this was to show the holiness of God. It was to show their separateness as a people. Um, there's a lot of people just from a scientific standpoint that said God was actually protecting his mm -hmm. people from certain foods that were more common carriers of disease and infection. And so there was a very practical aspect um, of these things. But yeah, there was, um, there were, and even uh, the consumption of blood, you were never allowed to drink blood um, because the life of the of the thing was in in the blood, and so blood was considered holy. It was to be poured out. But yeah, you have all these food um, restrictions as well. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's tithes. Uh, another part of the mandatory form of worship and relationship was was tithing. You had to bring, you know, ten percent of everything uh, to the temple uh, to the priests, whether it was food, grain, animals. And there were, there were actually, there were at least three different tithes. When you look, um, people have said, well, you know, so we have to give 10%. Well, if you're going to follow the Jewish... Right, right. You're not I, tithing on everything. Yeah, and it was probably closer to 20 or 30% of their total income that they were giving once you, you know, once you factor in everything. But these were mandatory. It didn't matter how you felt. And with most of these, um, these were regulations and the people were expected to do them to be in right relationship with God. And if they did them willingly or unwillingly, for the most part, it really didn't matter. If you brought your tithe, even if you weren't happy about it, you still got credit for bringing the tithe. They, were, they weren't optional, I guess is the point. Right, and then there were Sabbaths. The Bible doesn't just have a weekly Sabbath, right, for the Jews, but no. a monthly Sabbath. And then there was a Sabbath for the land. Um, there were all kinds of things going on at certain Sabbaths who needed to free the slaves at certain, or at least give them the option, right, whether they right. wanted to mm -hmm. stay. Um, at certain Sabbaths, you were to rest the land. Um, at certain Sabbaths, the land was to go back to an original owner. Um, right. And I think the whole idea, a lot of the idea behind Sabbath was this idea of rest, the idea that um, you take a break, that there's a rhythm to life that includes acknowledging God on a regular basis. And so the Jews did. They acknowledged God weekly on the Sabbath when they didn't do any work. They had monthly Sabbaths. They had yearly Sabbaths. They had a Sabbath every seventh year for the land to rest. And then every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, it was a whole year of rest for the land and for the people. And it's this idea that there's a rhythm to life and there's an acknowledgement that God is the ultimate giver of life, and as we re as we rest and rely on God to provide, um, you're showing, you're acknowledging who God is. Well, really, uh, we're talking about physical life, right? And there's probably a lot of practical reasons why a human should rest one day of the week. Oh, absolutely. Um, certain that the land needs to rest every once in a while uh, to renew its nutrients, you know. So Old Testament law really is based around the physical. Yes. And then, you know, the final one is the whole tabernacle temple, which you've already mentioned that there was a tabernacle and then there was a temple. And that was the place where God meets with man. And there was only one. There was one tabernacle. And once the temple was built, the tabernacle wasn't used. There was only one temple. And it required um, a high priest and it required a veil. And we're at time. Oh, no. So what we're going to need to do is 
you know, just in like the final minute or so we have left. I guess what I want to say is what we're going to look at next week is how Jesus fulfills every single one of these Old Covenant actions. Every one of these Old Covenant components, Jesus Christ fulfills. Jesus is enough. A relationship with Jesus is enough. A temple is no longer needed, and we will walk you through that and why. The Sabbaths, the tithes, the foods, the feasts, the festivals, the circumcision, the, the physical sacrifices of animals, all of that has changed with the new covenant. Christ came and brought us grace. And this is the whole point of Easter. And so next time we will completely explain the new, the new covenant. So stick with us. And just as a final word of encouragement, um, the whole idea of the new covenant, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is that we now live not under law, we live under grace. Mm, yes. And we live with the spirit guiding us in what we do and what we say. And so there is a life of freedom. And if there's one thing that goes with the new covenant, it's this idea of freedom. And in 2 Corinthians 3, um, 17, I want to close with this verse. It says, Now the Lord, referring to Jesus, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. So our life, our transformation, it all comes from Jesus and from being in this new covenant relationship that we're going to talk about next week. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh or the physical, but after the Spirit. Grace and peace. Have a wonderful Easter. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals. Mm-hmm.